0: Hello and welcome to Better Construction with Sean McStay, the podcast where we discuss design and construction techniques, products, and details that lead to a better built environment. All right, and welcome to this week's episode of Better Construction. This week, I am very pleased to have with me Brent Hull. Brent is the owner of Hull Millworks and Hull Homes. Uh, contributor on the Build Show Network and certainly very well known in the restoration and home building industries. So, Brent, thanks for being on the show.
1: John, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to uh, be able to chat with you. Uh, lots of different uh, aspects that I've, I have questions about, but I guess I always like to start off with for people who don't know you already, maybe do a quick intro.
1: First, I started uh, this company about uh, 27 years ago. I uh, studied uh, before that. I studied at a school for historic preservation in Boston called the North Bennett Street School. Um, great two year hands on education and preservation, basically learning how things were built 200 years ago. Um, used hand tools. One of the first things we did was actually take hand tools and get them working again so that we, uh, you know, we, we it, it was a museum quality historic preservation course, meaning You know, our our sash and doors and the things we're making were made exactly the way they've been made 200 years ago. And so what that does is it gives you a perspective and a way to think about building that's very different from today. Um, And that's probably been the biggest uh, takeaway and, you know, benefit of that education is just um, uh, understanding how things used to be built. uh, Because if you can build it that way, you can build it anyway.
0: Okay. And so for you, how did you come across that program? Has this always been an interest, construction and kind of restoration? Or how did that uh, come about for you?
1: Yeah, my, I mean, I don't come, my dad wasn't a builder or anything. My dad was a doctor. Um, I, uh, when I graduated from Baylor University, I was a history and English major. I kept trying to go into the business school. But, th- you know, those classes just, you know, whew, went right over my head. Um, and so I was always attracted to the liberal arts, uh, English and history. Um, I just, they just felt more practical for some reason. Um, and, uh, I always liked working with my hands. I always was fixing cars and and building things and, um, was doing things like that. So when I got out of school, I started, uh, a, a buddy of mine in college had had a handyman business. And, um, it was really just a, uh, a way to afford new tools. And um anyway, he started he got into a wholesale nursery business in Alabama. I did that for about nine months. And then I uh um went and uh I started coaching soccer of all things. I played soccer in college. I started coaching soccer um at a local high school. I went taught at a, a boarding school in Connecticut and then my best man in my in my wedding was in Boston at the time, and he told me about this school, North Bennett Street. North Bennett Street is kind of the, an education and craftsmanship. It's a old way of doing things. They have a uh, furniture making program, piano technology, uh, you know, jewelry making. Um, they have a, a book binding program. Harvard and Yale went to North Bennet Street to start the book binding program because they said they would have to send all their old books back to England, and there was no bookbinders in America, so. It's that kind of place, and uh, it was just a, a great education. It was right time, right place for me. It was really kind of where I wanted to uh, spend my time and learn. I'd look back, and I was writing at the time, uh, I don't want to be a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Yeah. And the, the idea of being a master craftsman or master builder was very appealing to me.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's uh, I'm always fascinated by um, architecture, historical architecture specifically. Um, and for to find someone who can kind of link that together with modern construction um, is a bit rare for you. Where where do you see the biggest uh, kind of ties between those two where we're building, you know, current day custom homes and these kind of historical museum quality, like you said, preservation techniques?
1: I I mean, I don't know how well they are connected. I I, I think that, um, you know, in many ways, I I said this before, I think we've lost the art of building. Uh, I don't think we craft the way we used to craft. I don't think the average carpenter is nearly as skilled as the one, you know, if you just take the 100 carpenters, you know, today and 100 carpenters 100 years ago, uh, the skill set is completely different. I think that those guys know more than we do. I think they uh I think they understand architecture and design better than we do, uh, as a general deal. And so, you know, I I look the way I look at it is it's opportunity. And so um if we as builders and craftsmen can uh learn and understand the way those guys did, uh we can build some pretty freaking amazing houses. And so we are that's what our company tries to do is is really blend and you know bring together you know houses that are energy efficient and well built houses but that also you know look like they were made two hundred years ago so um you are you know framing and and putting in the building science that's necessary so the house is safe and 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 lasts a long time and sheds water and and you know is energy efficient and yet it's also displays the, you know, scale and beauty and craftsmanship that was evident 200 years ago. So I just think it's a, you know, uh, uh, I just look at it as opportunity because I don't think really they compare very well.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, if you took the average house built today and the average house built 100 or even 200 years ago in certain parts of the U.S. and Canada, um, I don't think the average house built today would still exist. Uh, I don't think they're going to last that long. I agree. Uh, and the, certainly, the amount of time that people spend on it is—is, is, I mean, the time pressure is always so intense now to get things done so quickly. Um, how do you uh, in your in your home building business? How do you stay competitive in that market? Is it just finding the right clients, or, or do you have a certain way of explaining your process to clients mm-hmm. that makes them kind of understand that it's it's not going to be that quick build?
1: Yeah. So, you know, everything is education. Right. And um, with all our clients, whether we're doing millwork for them or whether they're building a house or whatever we're doing, we are con- constantly educating them on on the differences between, you know, them and us. Um, most of our clients now are seeking us out. And so it's hard because, um, you know, I've been doing this now 27 years, almost 30 years and it took me you know half that time to finally build up to a clientele and finally develop my skills to a point where my clientele was i could handle my clientele right i could i could handle that level of client who wants just this house that's up here and because i used to want to build a house that was up here but didn't know how to do it right and so uh didn't understand you know the process did not a lot how long it caught co- how long it took how much it cost the 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 how far you have to go to find the craftsman who can actually do that work and so um now we are finding people who uh are passionate about building and passionate about you know construction and and and, and care about doing it like we do so uh that means you have far fewer clients right that means you have you know two or three clients a year instead of 20 and um it, it's you know that means jobs take longer um it's just it's just a whole it's a different way of building and um it's it it it, it it's not something you can just do overnight i yeah. don't think
0: no that makes a lot of sense to me um, on the restoration side, obviously you've you've authored a, a number of books. Um, and when I was looking through your bio and looking through, learning a little bit more about you, uh, it mentioned that you have uh, something in the neighborhood of three thousand reference books that were used yeah, to, you to can make some of
1: them back here. I guess over here, the yeah. Uh, the yeah, you know, learning and and libraries have always been. You know, I'm doing some research right now on, on Greek revival, and so I've got. These uh, you know, this this I go to my library and I pull out my stack of books, right, that I that I'm that I'm studying Greek revival. Now I'm doing that and my library started because when I first got back to Texas from North Bennett Street, I was asking a architectural salvage guy, what would a carpenter have looked at in 1920 to, you know, to pick out a stair or pick out I mean, what was what were the books he was looking at? How did he order a door? And um he goes, oh, it was it was this. And he pulled off the shelf this hardbound book um, that, uh, you know, uh, universal design book. You can get it as a reprint today. 1927. And it was all these beautiful hand rendered pictures of doors and windows and moldings and all these different things. And I just fell in love. That was by 1993. And so I began collecting uh, Millwork books. Um, from and, and really from the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, all the way up into the nineteen forties, uh, nineteen thirties, they're they're hardbound, beautiful books. Um and so I started studying them and started looking at them. And as we get into a project and someone wanted a French style, I'd I go, Well what does French really mean? And 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 without traveling, if you can't travel then you know you're you're uh, limited to books. And so there aren't many books on the French style that are authentic. Uh, but there was a bunch of them written in the 1920s and 30s, because that's when that whole period revival element era was, um, that are, uh, still out there. And so I was on eBay. I was, uh, on Albrisk books and, and, you know, all, all the, the internet stuff. I had a book dealer up in, uh, up in Boston, near Boston, a guy named Steve Shuler, uh, who, who was selling me books. And so, um, one, I loved the information. I loved the books. I thought they were beautiful. I thought the information was valuable. And so, uh began collecting these books. And my first book, Historic Millwork, was that collection of millwork books, millwork catalogs from 1870 to 1940, really sandwiched between the Civil War and World War II. Uh, When it was kind of a unique period of time in American millwork where things were mostly made by machine, some handwork before you get into hollow corridors and, you know, fake things after World War II. Hmm.
0: Well, I mean, uh, definitely one of my my questions I always ask towards the end of these is about books. So we'll we'll get to that. But I I also have an affinity for collecting them, although I'm nowhere near 3000 at this point. What uh, what drove you to kind of collect some of that knowledge together and write your own books?
1: Well, I mean, I guess the way I'm wired, um, I, I do get pretty passionate about what I do. And I do like to share that information. So um, I think that, you know, vanity a little bit, wanted to write a book, always wanted to write a book, um, but also just wanted to share this great information. I think that it's uh, I think it's fascinating. And so I, I, you know, put it together in a way that I think people will appreciate it um John Wiley published it they were looking for an historic millwork book and so the timing was right and so um and that led to my next book uh you know traditional american rooms which was uh, a study of pre-industrial work rooms at winter tour um georgian and federal era rooms from all over the country so um now i feel like i've got a good view of you know what was going on in america during that time for period as far as uh millwork. And of course that's what's leading to a lot of my videos on the Bill Show Network, which is just sharing information about historic millwork, what it looked like, why it looked like what it did. I mean, there's a fascinating historical component to that that I again find fascinating. And I think uh, you know, from the comments that I've gotten back, people also appreciate that and like to learn and figure that stuff out. So um you know if you don't have an historical perspective you know, sometimes these moldings you go to in a lumberyard, I mean, how do you choose? I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're a bunch of just shapes and bumps and bruises on boards. I mean, and so it, without that historical component, I don't know how you read them. I don't know how you put them together. So um, it becomes a great frame of reference for design and putting houses together later.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned your work on the build show network. Um, in some ways, you kind of stand out a little bit from the other uh, contributors that are on there. Uh, but in other ways, it's, I think it's just the passion that you guys all have for the different aspects of building that you're involved with. Um, that makes it really interesting. I, I really like your videos on there. Um, and it's, it's giving a perspective, I think, that we don't often see um in my, in my day-to-day work i tend to work a lot with these kind of high performance uh you know uh, low energy type buildings um and there's lots of craftsmanship that goes into those but yeah. the the level of craftsmanship that you're looking at and the detail work um i do think sometimes gets forgotten uh and i think that we're we're missing out on that in these buildings because we're we're finally at a point with these high performance homes where we're building buildings to last more than 10 or 15 years, which I'm very happy about that. Sure. But I don't know if we're spending the amount of time required on the interiors, uh, to make them interesting to inhabit for that amount of time, if that makes any sense.
1: There's uh, my millennial kids, uh, and friends of my millennial children have told me about these, uh, houses where they, they, They basically buy a house and becomes a backdrop for Instagram videos and TikTok videos and things like that. And they they go into these mansions and typically they are historic mansions. I started thinking, well, why are they going to why wouldn't they go into just like a big modern mansion? And it's because the backdrop of a modern mansion, every room looks the same. You know, it's glass, it's blank walls, it's it's very sleek, you know, plain finishes. Whereas you go into a nineteen twenties Tudor you get paneled walls you get libraries you get you get uh you know crazy ceilings you get staircases that are you know things that you don't see anymore and it's just i think there's going to be a rebound and a you know i think we've swung way too far in the modern direction i mean if you look at any well i look at them because i'm sensitive to it but i you know if you look at the the, the building re- awards and the building things remodeling awards and stuff most of those awards are given to these very modern projects. And me as a classicist and purist and wanted to do, you know, our stuff isn't appreciated. And so this pendulum, I believe, has swung towards this, you know, simple, clean, you know, homogenistic, sometimes, interiors. And I think there's going to be a swing back. I mean, and if you look at it historically, that's the case. I mean, the Victorian was very McMansion-y, right, was, was just over the top the arts and crafts period was very simple and clean that's where we are and it was returned to this period revival uh it was the next period where there's a return in, a, in our appreciation of what had been built in europe and what had been done, built historically but there was a lot of character and and details that had been lost so i think we're in that you know era where we've just it's gone too far because everything looks the same everything it's boxes and it is these weird shapes and angles and and it's clean and simple and I just think there's going to be a rejection of that. And, well, whether it's in five years or 25 years, we'll see. But um, I think it's going to rebound because I think people want that. And so when that happens, there will be a rebound and a reinteresting craftsmanship and carpentry. And I think,
0: yeah, I, 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 I'm on the same page. You know, I, I look at um, like Pacifos, for example, which I do a lot of work with. The very simple form factors are. The easiest to make into a passive house and you want to have very little surface area, not very many details. You know, you're watching all of your overhangs and thermal bridges and all of that stuff. Um, and so I'm fascinated to find out how people are going to combine all of those performance characteristics with aesthetically pleasing buildings. Because uh, I really think that nowadays, with people obviously with what's going on in the world, people are spending a lot more time in their homes. Um, but just as a general rule of thumb, in North America, we spend a lot more time indoors than we used to. I, I think there's going to be a lot more interest in making those indoor spaces um, interesting.
1: You know, his history tends to to support that we go through cycles and through um, things get popular and then they fall out of favor, and so. Um, I think so we'll see.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Well, towards the end of my podcasts, I always kind of ask two questions. Uh, And so the first question is a bit of a fun question. So for you, I'll ask um, if you could remove any one misconception. So you have basically a magic wand. You're going to remove any one misconception about fine home building and millwork and restoration. What would it be for you?
1: I, I think I would speak to the builders out there and, you know, I hear a lot. No one wants that. No one can afford that. And um, I would challenge that and say that, um, you know, just because you aren't willing to spend money on it doesn't mean your client isn't. And we have been surprised. I have been surprised in my career how much money people are willing to spend on what's unique and different. And um, I think that it's a, uh, you know there is vanity in the home building process, and you know there is, you know there always has been historically. And you look at you know the you know the great castles and the you know the 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 Louvre and all the different uh, French things. I mean, there's vanity there, even for the person building the four hundred thousand dollar house and uh, or the two million dollar house. And so, the challenge I would have the misconception is the builders think that no one wants to pay for that. And I'm just telling you, we built our career on people that do want to pay for that. And, you know, I think the misconception is that money's the obstacle. And I would say that money's not the obstacle. Design is the obstacle. And, um, that, you know, they don't want what everybody else has got. And if you're going in with your clients saying, uh, well, in the last house we did, that's not the way you start. And so, um, that misconception about price, uh, especially about, fine homes and millwork and stuff like that.
0: Excellent. That's a great answer. Um, the last question I always ask, and for some guests, this is a tough question to answer because they haven't been reading as many books for you. I'd imagine this is going to be the opposite, but I normally ask, you know, if you could recommend a book personal or professional to somebody, uh, which one would it be?
1: Well, there's a pretty you know, standard answer that I give to people. I think Marion Casada's book, Get Your House Right is is, you know, Probably the best manual out there for building traditional houses and getting the details right. Uh, Stephen Muzon has a book on traditional details that's really good, um, but those those two books are the ones I recommend the most. They are uh, there. There's great pictures in there. There's great drawings and details, and in a very uh, simple, approachable way, Mary Casado explains. You know moldings and columns and, you know, window spacing and, you know, dormers and, you know, just all kinds of everyday things that we should be building that, uh, that, that re- reminds us there is a design story behind those things and as, uh, and, you know, a reason why it looks the way it does and a reason why those historic houses look so good, the re- reason why we're attracted to them and because of the uh, the details. So um, those, those are two of the first books, yeah.
0: Awesome. Great recommendations. Uh, Well, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. For everyone listening and watching, I'm going to go ahead and put links down below to uh, Brent's uh, company website, as well as his uh, link on the Build Show Network. And uh, with that, Brent, uh, have a great rest of your day.
1: Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you having me on.